Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Rear Transmission, the podcast where I talk to artists, authors, and musicians uh, across all mediums of dark and weird art. Today, we're having our second panel episode. This one is going to be about self-publishing. And I have with me Catherine Silva, Gregor Zane, and Chad Lutsky. Um, so let's start with you, Catherine. Why don't you introduce yourself um, and tell everybody a little bit about your work and what you do? Sure. Uh, so my name is Catherine Silva. I have published five books in the last 10 years, uh, twice nominated for a main literary award in speculative fiction. Uh, I currently have a book that I'm working on that's due out next spring, which is a fantasy uh, dark fiction. And that's kind of more what I write is in the the fantasy dark fiction uh, mystery thriller genre. All right, great. And um, Gregor, why don't you go next? The ever mysterious Gregor Zane. Hey, uh, yeah. So, uh, Gregor Zane, I'm an author of, uh, I guess what we, you would consider uh, horror, but it's, uh, got a lot of elements of, um, say body horror, maybe some conspiracy theories mixed in, uh, or at least it would appeal to the folks who like to read about conspiracy theories. It's not necessarily covering any genuine or real quote unquote, uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, pretty gruesome. There's some, uh, a lot of uh, bizarre sexual content in uh, a lot of what I write. Uh, I've got a series out. Three books in the series are out so far. Uh, the Hanover Block, Brides of Hanover Block, and Son of Hanover Block. And then uh, Return to Hanover Block should come out uh, later on this year. Uh, so if folks like uh, nasty, nasty books, then they'd probably <laughs> like what I write. <laughs> All right, and Chad. Uh, yeah, I'm Chad Lutsky, and I write short books, mostly, um, I mean, some of it's horror, dark drama. People have been calling it heartfelt horror, I guess. Um, I've also written some uh, humorous uh, crime, neo-noir type, type stuff, and some um, weird fiction. The short stories that I write tend to lean more toward um, horror over the books, but yeah, I try to spread it out a little bit all over the place. All right. So um, now all of us here have, you know, done some self-publishing. Some of us, uh, Gregor, you're also published aside from your short stories, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And Catherine, are you exclusively self-published as well? Yep. Yes, indeed. Okay. And then um, Chad, Chad and I are kind of a hybrid, so we've got a little bit of a mix here. Um, Why don't we start? um, Why don't we talk about what it, why we self-publish, and what we like about it? Um, You know, I started self-publishing after my first novel came up from 
uh, an imprint of permuted press called Winlock. And I didn't have a great experience with it, which is why I started self-publishing. And now, as I said, I'm a kind of a hybrid and I will work with small presses, but I'm very, uh, I guess, kind of gun shy to do so. And, you know, I have to have a lot of faith in who I'm working with. Um, and I like having control over my projects. I, I'm very particular about my cover art, um, my editing. I like to have a role in the marketing. So that's what draws me to self-publishing. What about you, Catherine? Um, I mean, very similar reasons. When I first self-published my first book, there was a company, or there still is a company um, in Midcoast, Maine, that helps beginning authors publish their stuff, um, self-publish their stuff. And I started with this company and released my first book. And and it was a, a decent experience. It didn't end very well, kind of similar to what you were saying. Um, and I decided that I was going to do my second book all by myself. And that was one that I got a nomination from the main literary awards on. So I felt like I was on the right track and I really enjoyed having uh, all the rights to it, you know, knowing that nobody was going to change anything. Uh, and, and that's kind of been my reason thus far for still doing self-publishing. I have been thinking about traditional publishing recently just because I've never had that experience. I'd kind of like to, to know it. Um, but so far I've really liked marketing my own stuff, uh, selling it to people. Um, that person to person experience is really great. And this company that you worked with, was it, was it almost like a vanity press or it's, it's not it. Um, they, they call themselves, um, main authors publishing. Um, they are exclusively a company that assists with certain aspects of publishing manuscripts, uh, for people, you know, they'll do everything, including cover design layout. Uh, they'll upload your book to social media platforms, to, uh, um, to Amazon, you know, they'll do everything for you if you pay for it. Um, they'll also help market it to a lot of the mains indie bookstores for you which is a nice perk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a pretty nice perk actually. I mean, do they put their name on it as far as the publisher or do you get to put your own name on it? As nope. far as you, you put your own name on it. They really don't have, I mean, it's a service. No. Really. It's a service exactly. Right. Okay. I got you. All right. Yeah. So kind of like smash words, but on a more local level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. All right, okay. all right. And Gregor, um, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch in private, but um, why don't you tell everybody kind of what draws you to self-publishing? Uh, I think I mean, largely it's due to, um, I mean, the content that I that I put out there. I mean, I could, I guess, try to sell it to a, a publishing <laughs> house, right? It would be. Uh, you know, possibly be a small print, a small press, or something like that. But you know, and I, I'm pretty confident that I could probably place the stuff that I write with a small press. But at the but, I, I just feel like you know, 
I don't see a real reason to, except for that, maybe the prestige of it, I suppose. And I would get less money as far as royalties goes. And I wouldn't have as much control over what the book cover looked like and everything else related to the production of it. Uh, You know, and I don't really see a whole lot of difference nowadays between a small press and an independently uh, published book. Really. I don't see there's much difference uh, in the, in the quality of the, uh, of the product, or at least if, if, if the author is willing to put into work to put out a uh, quality uh, product. Right. And, you know, so I just, I, I think that if I were to ever like write something that was, uh, maybe a little bit more mainstream, like I've thought about writing middle grade books, right. I would definitely seek out like an agent or uh, a mainstream publisher for that type of a product. Right. But uh, as long as I'm going to be writing, you know, these crazy uh, gross horror books, right. I don't see a reason to really uh, engage the services of a independent press or a small press rather. That yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me, especially with the type of stuff that you write. Um, yeah. Because I wonder how much, and you know, Chad would probably have a better idea about these numbers because he probably sells all of us by quite a bit. But um, do you think that something like the Hanover Block would sell many more from a small press than it would Gregor selling it on his own? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking Gregor. Do oh, I no, think? no. I'm asking you. I'm asking you because um, you have more experience with small presses and stuff. So. Sorry, that was my phone. Uh, <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I turned that down. Um, I, sorry, I'm distracted because I don't want that to happen again. Okay. Do I think that... Um, do you think do you something think- like so like kind of niche and like, you know, out there like like the Hanover block, do you think that it would really sell much more at a small press than like Gregor could do on his own. Well, this, the small presses that I'm thinking of that would want that. um, I don't think that they could do any more. I don't think they could do any better than, than Gregor could do on his own now Um, because of uh, not because of quality, because from what I read, it's great, but of the, the market, you know, or, you know, just the, the, the topic of the book. And that it's not necessarily for everyone. I mean, everybody who's been reading it seems to be enjoying it, and rightly so. But um, to you know, when you look at the cover and you kind of find out what it's about, it's not—it's not something that would definitely be easily sent to a traditional publisher. And like I said, uh, the small publishers that I can think of that—that—that's right up their alley. Uh, I don't think that they would be able to do any better than than he already has done. Yeah, that, that's kind of my feeling as well, um, it, which makes you – I think that if you're going to seek out a, a small press publisher especially, um, you really need to think about the project and if it if it makes sense. And, um, you know, with my novel Blackheart Boys Choir, I'd, I'd sent it out to a couple publishers. I had originally planned on self-publishing it, and S.T. Joshi had read it and was wanted me to send it to some small presses because he – he wanted to, he thought it needed more, I guess, you know, exposure. Um, but even with that, it's not quite as, you know, I guess out there is the Hanover block, but it was considered by a lot of small presses. Like, you know, but there, I can't sell this um, mm-hmm. because of, because of the content. Um, so I think that it really, you have to think about the content of the book when you're, 
deciding what what route you want to go. Um, But what about you, Chad? What attracts you to the self-publishing route? Um, A little bit of what you guys have already said. Um, When I when I first started uh, trying to really take this writing thing seriously, um, I I read a couple books on things like, you know, uh, email lists and um, the, the book funnel and all that kind of stuff. And I tried all of that, but then I realized that that is better for like, um, you know, niche markets. I'm not writing, you know, military science fiction and I'm not writing romance or fantasy or post-apoc or anything like that. And so if, as a matter of fact, um, the fact that I try to come up with, um, you know, original concepts is is kind of like a, um, it's a blessing and a curse. People like it because it's original, but then they can't find it because it's original. So nobody's yeah. on Amazon typing in um, books about dead mothers and spelling bees. You know, nobody's <laughs> looking for that. So um, I, I found out eventually that this, the whole email list, I mean, it's worked a little bit, but um, I, I don't think that it really has, you know, a lot of that stuff goes to spam folders and people just don't, you know, really engage in a lot of the emails sent out. And then the final book was just no good because, you know, I didn't have a series. So if I had I some of my friends who a couple of them who ended up quitting their day job to write, basically kind of write to market. Um, but they were they weren't necessarily writing to market because it was a genre that they really, really enjoyed writing and reading. So but that's not me. You know, I don't want to, I didn't want to write zombie or vampire fiction or anything that, like that. I don't think any, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what Catherine writes, but I know that Gregor and Curtis are not uh, writing anything that seems to be fitting any kind of comfortable niche for people. So um, I decided to put out a, um, my first collection. Um, I was just kind of not really in a hurry, um, but I was excited because I learned about kind of what to do and formatting and stuff. So I put that out. I kind of regret it just because I, I recognized the book as maybe having some filler stories. Um, and that's why I went back, you know, five years later and made it Lutsky 2.0 by basically not rewriting the stories, but going through them and then just making them like as though I wrote them today, you know, using leaner prose. And then I added some stories and stuff to try to make it the book better. But in between that, um, I had, you know, self-published stuff, uh, uh, like with Curtis, I was, uh, creative control is important to me, particularly for the covers. Thankfully the small presses that I have gone through, they have allowed me to, um, deal with the covers on my own. So that's been really, I haven't, I, so far I haven't had to, with the exception of getting paid to write a manuscript in somebody else's world, I haven't had to um, deal with any kind of like, well, this is your cover. Um, so that part of it is nice, but um, there it's kind of like trial and error, you know, I mean, and, which is good. You know, I, when a bad experience happens writing, I, I really value it because you can learn so much from that. And there, there's, it, there's a book that um, I did have published through a small press that I regret because I, I recognize it as basically um, just giving half the money away because I could have done every, everything, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any promotion going on ever. So um, 
but you live and learn, you know, and, and, and uh, like Curtis said as well, I, you, I, I'm kind of picky about the small presses that uh, I want to work with. You know, I kind of keep my eye on them. I'm leery of new small presses um, because I know things that crumble, but I, it's important to me, like whoever is running that small press, I'll give you an example and I hope he doesn't mind me talking about it, but Ken from Silver Shamrock, um, you know, he's approached me a couple of times and I picked his brain for a couple of hours on, this is like a year or so ago. He's like, I'm going to start this press. Uh, I'd like to have you involved. These are the people I'd like to have involved. And so I picked his brain on, well, even like, what's your day job? Because some of these guys are dipping into um, royalties to pay their bills. And so if somebody doesn't have a, you know, a, a plan B, like a, a nice job, and Ken does have a very nice job. And so it's not something that he needs to make ends meet. He's not going to be dipping into everything. And I've watched him along the way, and I think he's doing a great job uh, with Silver Shamrock. And so those are some of the kind of things that I that maybe your average person might not look at that, that I do. And then of course you got to see how much time they're what they're how much money and time that they're spending on promotion and if that's more than than you can do. And are, are there books landing and you know, areas where they might get awards or, or landing in booktubers' hands and Instagram people's hands. And so I, I look at all of that stuff. And I, of course, I would like to traditionally publish one day and get an agent and stuff. But um, I'm happy for even the, the even the mistakes I've made, I'm, I'm thankful for. Yeah, that, that's wonderfully said. And, you know, when you were talking about looking at it, what they can do, essentially, that's that's kind of what I weigh when I'm looking at, at a, a small presses. Essentially, can they do anything I can't do? Um, yeah. And and That's are they really going to the be reliable line. at it? Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm working with Weird House Press right now on um, a collection, and Joe Mori, who founded Dark Regions, runs Weird House Press. This is his new press, so he has a lot of publishing experience, and you know, he's going to do this nice hardcover. And it's like I don't have the experience to put together a nice hardcover, so that was a mm-hmm. huge draw for me. And the guy's got like 30 years publishing experience. Um, but as you said, with a, a newer press, uh, I'd definitely be wary. Um, and just, I guess, just do your homework, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, with when we're putting together a self published book, um, you know, there's a lot of stigma against self publishing. And I, I was talking to Ramsey Campbell on an earlier episode, and we were kind of talking about this how most of the. Sp- self-published stuff he's seen you know he said how it's been written with typos and uh there's formatting issues and all this sort of stuff and even some of my early self-published stuff there there were definitely some formatting issues in earlier versions of my book with ragged margins and things like that um how particular do you guys get with that sort of thing and um was it a long learning process to uh to figure out how to do it right. Um, why don't we start with you this time, Gregor? Well, um, I mean, I'm very particular about it, right? Uh, I, I think that what kind of helped me with that is that, you know, my day job, right? I mean, there's a lot of um, 
process related stuff to putting a product out, right? And there's, you know, quality assurance and all these different steps before you release a product, right? In my day job, we kind of release products, right? So I kind of, before putting out my first book, kind of took everything through that same type of quality assurance um, process, right? So that, you know, I could put, put, could put out the best the best book I could on my own, right? And, you know, I obviously, you know, went and looked at uh, books that were traditionally published, right? And made sure that the book that I was putting out looked as much like a traditionally published book as I possibly could. Um, I always have uh, multiple humans uh, looking at the the product before I put it out, right? I have a content or a person that does content editing. I got a couple proofreaders. I go through the product, I mean, I don't even know how many times, like a lot, (laughs) a lot, right? I mean, I go over the product a lot before I release it. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very particular. I'm I'm kind of uh, obsessive about it because I don't want, I don't, I mean, the thing is that, you know, uh, especially if I'm writing the stuff that I'm writing, right. I want it to, to not have any, it would be horrible for somebody to, you know, read a book that has some of the content that's, in my books and have typos and sloppiness, right? I want it to be as crisp and as clean as possible so that folks know that, uh, you know, maybe I've got a screw loose, but at least I know that I'm uh, putting out a, uh, you know, that I I care about the writing, right. And the product that I'm releasing, you know? So, you know, so yeah, I'm very particular about it. Yeah. And I'm guessing you probably went over brides more than anything, just because there was the biggest gap between that and the first book. Um, yeah, and also it was the soft, you know, like the second in a series uh, anxiety, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, didn't want uh, to have the sophomore slump kind of thing in the series uh, that you hear people talking about. So, yeah, I was very, uh, yeah, I went over that quite a bit. And I also understand that, you know, some people can do covers, like their own book covers. Uh, but I, I can't do that. And I also uh, understand that's uh, a weak point that I, I have to outsource that. And I think that it's important for folks to understand what their uh, limitations are, be it self-editing or, or book cover design or, or um, maybe even uh, product description or something like that. And if you, if you, you know, you got to be honest with yourself and, and, and determine that, you know, I, I really suck at book covers mm-hmm. or I really suck at this particular aspect. I can't really do self-editing. And if that's the case, you need to either uh, outsource that piece or do an in-kind trade with another author that is, uh, is good at those types of things. So that's, that's what I, that's what I do. So, I mean, I either outsource it or I find a, a somebody who I know is, does a good job and I do an in-kind trade, I'll do uh, editing for that person or, uh, or something like that. So yeah, I'm very meticulous about it. And you're a pretty good editor on your own right too. So um, yeah, I'm very, I'm good at self-editing and large, large part of that is that I'll let it sit for quite some time before I go back to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I also do a lot of passes. So yeah. Um, All right, Catherine, what about you? Um. Well, I'm not going to lie. I published my first book when I was 21 and I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of it is being new to publishing. I just didn't pay attention to certain things that I should have. And, and I look back on those mistakes and I tell myself that's something that I can't 
let happen again. So I have been pretty vigilant about my layout, my editing, my cover design since then. Um, you learn from your mistakes, which is what Chad was saying. Um, you know, you don't want to take back, uh, I mean, you, you wish you hadn't made those mistakes, but you learn from them. So it's, it's a blessing otherwise. Um, and, uh, I, it's one of those things that I have learned that I am not a great self editor. Um, and that was something that did take longer than it probably should have, uh, <laughs> to learn. Um, but now I do have a really good editor who is superb. Um, and that's one of those things that I feel like is, is the most important thing. Um, when I published my first book with this, you know, company that was just getting set up in mid coast, Maine, they had one editor who was editing so many people's books just like was overworked probably. And I don't think they had much of an opportunity to spend a lot of time with my book and it's long and it's, there's a lot of uh, references and uh, aspects to it that I think sort of didn't make it. Uh, into that person's comments. And so when the book got published, there were things that, that are glaring to me now. You know, I can, I can see the, the problems with them and I, like, bugs me, you know, just bugs me. So with this new book that I have coming out, I am yeah, yeah. every single uh, chance that I can to like, make sure that it's hip top. Yeah. It, it's, it's important to do. I, my first couple books, um, you know, I paid for, well, the first book was published by a small press and they did the editing, but I, I paid for editing on my first two self-published books. And I still found, tons of mistakes afterwards. And one of the learning yeah. experiences I had was, was to, you know, you can't just trust that the editor is going to do, you need no. to still go give it multiple passes afterward. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, and you have to really learn, you know, what editors you're going to work with and who's worth your money. And especially if you're, if you're paying a lot of money. Um, but, you know, once again, that was a learning experience um, in, and you know, that's how we move forward and grow. Um, and what about you, Chad? Um, when I, uh, all of the books that I self-published, they are, I mean, they look, the, the inside looks the same. It's, it's very basic. Um, I'm, I'm happy with how they are, but there are some things that I would have liked to have done that I just didn't want to take the time to, you know, I learned how to do uh, the formatting, just, you know, hopping online and, Googling stuff, but there's, there are a couple things that I would have liked to have done, um, just to customize it a little bit more, but that I didn't know how, like when I first put out, uh, a foster homes and flies, I wanted, um, a fly to be on like the first chapter and then 
uh, more flies on the next chapter and so on. And I wasn't able to do that, <clears throat> but where did you want the flies like uh, up in like the header or like, yeah, just right like where it says, you know, chapter, whatever, or okay. they're not chapters, but they're separated by days of the week. But yeah, just there to, to show the kind of like to be symbolic of the decomposition, decomposition state of the mother. And, um, but Poltergeist Press, ironically, when they asked if, um, if they could do the hardcover, that was an idea that they had. And I was like, yeah, yes, please do that because that's what I wanted to do originally. So now they're in there, but that's the kind of thing that I can't do. Um, and I tend to make, um, because all of my stuff is uh, novella length. I think Skullface Boy is maybe something like a thousand words shy of being a novel. But I, I tend to make larger font, not only to just fill out the book, but that's that's how I like to read too. Yeah, I don't like to read, you know, five thousand words on a page. It's yeah, just, likewise. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I like to make that progress, and and um, I think it also helps like, with the pacing of the book as well. Yeah, it, there's Flipping psychology pages. behind it for sure. Yeah. Short chapters, things like that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like I said, I'm I'm happy with with. But, the, you know, I'm not, I can't like I don't have the know how to like explore into some different areas. And I'm going to put an illustration here. I, I have actually put photographs in one of my book books at the beginning of each chapter. But um, the funny thing is, every time I go, because, you know, there's several months between each release, there are certain things that I completely have forgotten how to do. And I got to relearn all yep. over again. <laughs> And that's amazing that it happens every single time, particularly when I'm trying to center just single pages without doing the entire manuscript. That's probably my biggest problem, trying to get that that dedication, that copyright page, title page centered um, in, without centering the whole thing. Because it's like a – because I format using Word, and everything in there is like some kind of like its own little virus. Like if, if you touch <laughs> – part yeah. of it touches another part of it then it's all diseased now and you gotta reformat it and <laughs> it's yeah it can be a headache yeah but words uh i i pagination is the in the section breaks is what drives me insane at the yeah. as far as you know doing paper yeah, yeah. 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 pagination in uh in the the headers always the headers always mess me up when uh between like breaking the headers from the you know from before the book starts and then after the book ends right. um so yeah that stuff it, I, I have to google it every time so yeah that's a huge pain <laughs> in, the, in the butt you know yeah well we need to we need to just make some like uh checklist sheets you know and yeah you know, like yeah but in, and I want to do that every time, and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not going to forget this time, and I'm an idiot, and I don't write it all down. So, yeah, I do have a cheat sheet for some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's mainly for uh, the ebook formatting process that I go through. I do have a cheat sheet for that, but I do not like an idiot for uh, the word stuff. Yeah. You know? Now, Gregor, you use HTML to make your ebooks, um, right? Does anybody else use HTML or I, I, I just export no. stuff out from Scrivener into an ebook. How do you guys do it? Word. Word. Yeah. And how do you do like the chapters and everything? Do that in HTML in Word? No, I just yeah. use the, the page breaks and section breaks. Yeah. Me too. So you don't have like a clickable table of contents? 
I have before, yeah, but it depends on. Um, well, I yeah, in the ebooks, in I don't mess around really with chapters like that um, because when I'm reading ebook, I could, I don't need to. I don't. I kind of. I guess I don't see the sense of in, in, in that because I don't. I don't click on those. I just bookmark whatever page I left off at. But if That's you're fair. talking about like table of contents for uh, a collection of short stories, then yeah, I, I will. I'll put a clickable thing in there for each story. All right. Um, now, one of the things I talked about with um, with a couple people, um, with uh, S.T. Joshi and Ramsey Campbell, and I think Jeffrey Thomas, was in regards to self-publishing is the ability to gauge the worth or the merit of your work. Um, and there's an argument that if you're not going through gatekeepers, you're not going through this process, um, how good of a judge can you be of your own work to see? Does this need to be in the world? Do I have something to say? Um, so how do you guys, how do you kind of gauge the value of your own work in each project and, and stay honest with yourselves? Whoever wants to go can go. Um, <clears throat> well, I think, uh, well, I think we all at least go through that, that same thing where it's like, I have the world's greatest idea. And then you, you start doing it and you're like, this is really lame. Why am I even bothering? And then you get a little farther and you're like, no, this really is great. And then you get to the end and you're like, people are going to hate this. And for me anyway, that, that point between I'm done and my first reader is just like this roller coaster of it sucks. It doesn't suck. It sucks. It doesn't mm -hmm. suck. Cause you've just been standing too close to see it. You know, it's, that's why it's, it's such a great thing. Like what Gregor does when he takes time, um, and I've heard Stephen King does this too. You know, you shall, it's good to, it's hard to do, but it's a good idea to shelf something for at least three months and then go back to it um, and see it with new eyes. And you can catch all the stuff that you'd like to change and maybe have even grown as a writer. But I mean, I don't, there, there have been um, a couple of things that I wrote that I just felt like I knew for sure this hasn't been done before. But I know that everybody kind of feels like that. So, you know, and I, I, I don't know that there's a real, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, it makes me feel like I'm being pretentious or something, but I know, because I know that we all, I mean, if, if we didn't believe in something, I guess we wouldn't release it, but That's I don't fair. know. I, I guess I don't know how to answer that question because I don't, I don't have a meter to go by or. Or really, right. uh, you know, I just... It's kind of a leap of faith, right? I mean, it's kind of yeah. a leap of faith. And then the only thing that you can... The only thing you can get as a self-published author, really, is... I mean, I guess you, as far as, like, you know, you have beta readers or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, are those folks going to actually tell you that this one sucks and that you shouldn't mm -hmm. publish it? If you have good ones, I guess, right? If you mm -hmm. really have great yeah. pals, right, that are authors mm -hmm. that really know what they're talking about, they might say, this really sucks. You should not even release this. Mm -hmm. You know, and that would be awesome, you know, if somebody did tell you that and they were, they were right and all that, you know. Uh, but, I mean, the only thing you can do is to have a leap, of pay, a leap of faith and then, you know, and the reviews that you get from humans that you never met in your life and have no relationship with you is the only way that you can really gauge as to whether or not you're really uh, doing the right thing. You know, you know I had a, <clears throat> I had a, a recent experience um, where I wanted to write this um, crime noir thing 
um, in, in pants it like I do everything else, having, having no idea who the characters are going to be. I mean, I had a small idea of the, who the antagonist was going to be. And then, but as I was writing it, I realized, okay, this is the book that I'm going to, because sometimes I have people in mind that I would love to get a blurb from, depending on the book. And so this was the book that I was like, I have to ask Joe Lansdale for a blurb. I know he doesn't give them out a lot, but I was like, this is the one. If I'm ever going to ask, this is the one. So I finished the book. I gave it to beta readers. Um, and I chose ones that I had used before that aren't, aren't afraid of me to tell me that, you know, this sucks or, or you should change this or whatever. Um, and then I gave it to a couple new ones that I'd never worked with before. Well, one of the first people I got back with, they, they were great beta reader, left me just an absolute ton of notes. But in, within the notes was this very like condescending, bitter tone in some of the notes, like um, just cussing all throughout, like, why in the world would you uh, do this? What are you even thinking? Was, you know? was that was that Curtis Lawson? Was he doing no. that? <laughs> no, I'm, no it wasn't. I, I'm not going to say who it was, but <laughs> I know you're not. It, it, you know, and I'm thinking this, and I started to get real nervous because there were parts that I agreed. I was like, okay, and then there were parts that I could tell they either didn't understand my sense of humor or um, they didn't understand my style. And I, I know that sometimes. Uh, people do that, you know, um, they, they, they may not understand somebody's way of doing things or, or, or what they're trying to convey. And so I had a really, uh, I was talking with my friend, John Bowden about this through this whole thing because it really tore me up. I made, you know, some, some changes and I probably cut out three, 4,000 words out of the book. Um, some of the changes that this person suggested I took, but I, I showed John some of the stuff that they were saying to me. And he's like, wow, what? Do they hate you? Why are they? Why are they? There's no need for that kind of talk. You know, what it sounds like they're like really bitter toward you or something. I was like, I know. Right. So I went from being really happy about this book to um, being scared that Lansdale was going to hate it. And then all of a sudden, that's all I could think about is this book is written for Lansdale. What would Lansdale do? And that the whole rest of the the rewrite or, or the re revisions was just Kim right there in my rear view. And that's all that I could see. And um, that's all I could focus on anymore. And I couldn't even, I started to wonder, am I putting this part in here just for him? Is this even me? And I got, it got so confusing, man. I had to step away for a while. Um, that was just an example of like a, of, um, you know, a, a type of beta reader that's, I was thankful and I told them, you know, Hey, I, I really appreciate all the time that you took into this. I did mention, however, that some of this did kind of come across, you know, like a kind of douchey and um, which, <laughs> you know, was kind of a little counterproductive, but right. it was, at the same time, I was still thankful. It was a, it was a, it was a bizarre experience to say the least. Yeah. That's that's pretty wild. <laughs> But I got the blurb. Um, no, you got the blurb. So there yeah. you go. That's that's yeah. huge. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's great. Um, I forget where we were, where we even started before that. <laughs> what was the question that spawned? Oh, that? As to whether or not how do you how do you know <laughs> that you're not putting out oh, just yeah. total turds, right? right. So, Catherine, yeah. what what are your thoughts on it? Um, well, I do have a book that I I put out that I was 
really, really proud of. And I loved the characters and I loved the, the story. And the problem with it was that it was book three in a series. And the series, you know, trying to get a self-published series going, which was a vampire series, um, but not romantic vampire, uh, was hard. And trying to really market book three didn't go as well as I'd hoped. And and I had, I really thought it was going to be like a bestseller. I was just like totally wrapped up in this idea that it was the best thing that I'd ever written. And, and I loved everything about it and it didn't go anywhere and it crushed me. And, uh, and I realized at that point that I had written it for me, but without the intention of, of knowing how to sell it properly. Um, which is embarrassing because I'm also a salesperson. I, that's my day job. I have been a salesperson for the last 13 years and the inability to recognize that this is something that I can't sell to people very well, uh, you know, is, is embarrassing um, and sad. Of course, I was, I was really sad about it. I had a librarian actually tell me that people wouldn't come to a reading of this genre. And so he wasn't, going to let me do a reading at the library and it hurt and uh it took was he talking it, about horror in general it, yeah or was he talking yeah. about like vampire stuff specifically? It, i i think it was dark fiction in general um okay and maybe it was a nice way of saying that my dark fiction in general wasn't something that uh that people wanted to come see but yeah but it still it hurt and um and it took several years before i published my next book and uh, which is the collection uh which is not a collection of stories it's actually about a a collection of of objects with weird uh properties and and i I took a really long time getting that book out because I wanted to make sure that I marketed it correctly, that I had an audience for it that was interested in that subject material and was excited about it. Um, I had beta readers ahead of time that were excited about it. Um, and with my newest book that I'm working on right now, The Wild Dark, I have actively been doing uh, vlogs or like um, like live video sessions with potential readers and have been sharing aspects of the story to make sure that it's subject matter that will be interesting to people, that people are excited about because I don't want to go off track again. I don't want to like just lose myself in, in something that I think is fantastic, but other people are kind of like questioning and, and are not sure about. Um, but it's, it's really tough. It's tough. It's hard to know um, what people are going to like. 
Yeah, for sure. So I'm intrigued, and this is, you know, kind of uh, not really self-publishing necessarily, uh, but what did you mean that the the thing that you recently published or not too long ago published was not a, it wasn't a short story collection, it was a a collection of objects with peculiar attributes? What was that? The the idea of the the book was that there was a... um, a science, a, he's not a scientist. He was a university professor um, that collected, that went around the world and collected these weird objects that had peculiar properties. And he collected them all and he put them all in this mansion out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and his son receives the mansion in his will and goes to investigate. Um, he didn't have a very close relationship with his father, so he's he's interested to know uh, what sort of tore his father's attention away from his family. And, and it's a novella, so it's a shorter book than than I normally write. But I, man, I had a ball writing it. I loved it. So, I mean, are there sh- short stories surrounding the objects, or? No. Nope, it okay. is. It's one continuous, uh, you know, story. Okay, okay. I think I might have misunderstood what you said. Sorry, sorry. Okay. The book is right. called Collection, but yeah, it's not yeah. Collection. yeah. I, I got you. I okay, made that super confusing. Yeah. I apologize. That's all. Yeah, I'm looking at it now on the on the Amazon <laughs> right to so the collection a novella. I got you. Okay, and then the 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 three books that you have out there. That's a like a um, a series. Is that the is that a vampire series? You say it is. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, very much more in the urban fiction, uh, adventure, action adventure series, less, no romance, none of that Twilight stuff. So it's like, it's like an urban or like an urban fantasy uh, vampire? Yeah. Yeah. But but you don't have a, a, a person on the front whose backside is facing the viewer holding a crossbow. (laughs) Right? I know there's no vamp. I mean, there are vampire hunters, but they're not really the main. You know, they're not really the main part. Excuse me, that was very loud. <laughs> not like I'm drinking over here or anything. But there's no romance uh, in it at all, or anything uh, like that. You know, maybe a tiny bit, but the the idea was to not go the paranormal romance route that everybody okay. else was going, gotcha. and, okay. and that actually might have sunk me because <laughs> I didn't do the same thing that everybody else was doing. Yeah, because uh, I was looking at those, uh, uh, you know, before this uh, show started, and it, it didn't strike me as you know, being vampire books, right? Oh no! Uh, but no. I didn't go super deep into it, right? I was very inspired by like Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons when I was doing those books. So they're definitely more mystery thriller with vampires, basically. I mean, do you have vampires in the oh, actual yeah. product descriptions? Okay. Yes. All right. Yep. Okay. I'm sorry, I, did, I didn't go that deep into it, but I, I was just curious because I mean, it seems like there's a lot of there's a market for vampire book readers, right? Um, it's a know. very specific market. It <laughs> it seems to be very, um, you know, either there's your vampire romance, uh, which is huge, or there's 
Um, Urban fantasy with vampires, right? That's not yeah, necessarily it's more action adventure, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this is not either of those things. It's, yeah, it's more not quite. It's just not quite there. Yeah. I see. Okay, it's more it's a of weird a weird little in between. Um, I, I can't tell if I got a delay going on or not, but I, I was just saying that what I thought uh, maybe Gregor was saying too is that you don't have some of the um, very, very cliche things that somehow seem to be uh, motivators for people to sell these kind of things, like they all how they all have the same cover. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe by even by doing that, like rebranding it, it might even help your book be a standout because it's not exactly that and it's something different. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you if you had if uh, here's the question for you, Catherine. So, if somebody came to you and said, "Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I make these book covers for a living, uh, for uh, urban uh, urban fantasy uh, novels with kick-ass chicks on the front, and they wanted to make one for you for free, would you take them up on it for the book covers uh, of, of these books, or would it just not fit at all in your mind?" I mean, I would be interested to see what they came up with. I'd want them to read the book first to to get an impression of what was right. But yeah, I'd be interested. Sure. So, I mean, you wouldn't be opposed to having a kick-ass chick on the front of the book <laughs> holding the sword, right? I mean, that wouldn't fit at all. Well, with, not holding the sword. Yeah. I don't know if your swords are in but, you know what I mean? But yeah. You know what I'm getting at, right? I do. I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, Which, I don't know. It might be that, worth investigating, right? I mean, like, I don't know. Stylistically, could, something like that, you mean? What's that? You you talking about stylistically? Something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, you know, like uh, I don't know what one one foot in the grave books. I don't know. There's a lot of books I've I've seen a lot of the book covers. I can't remember the authors' names, but uh, yeah, I mean, everybody knows the style I'm talking about with a uh, kick-ass chick on the front. That's a vampire, yeah. you know. So I mean, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It might be worth entertaining. I don't know how close it would be for the the books that you've written whether or not somebody would pick it up and say this isn't at, at all what i was expecting right so yeah. i mean you know so i'm not i'm not 100% sure right but if it's if it's pretty close right maybe maybe a more subdued approach to the kick ass person on the front right i don't know you yeah. might want to consider it right i mean sure. you know, cuz i mean a lot of people like vampire books a lot in and are these books do they have uh female leads uh, not particularly, actually. Um, so that, you know, might might not take off in that direction. But I have certainly considered getting, creating new covers for them. Right. Uh, they're not at the top of my pile of, of you know, important things to do at the moment. Right. Um, but they're, it's certainly something I have considered. Yeah. So, but you say they're not female leads, but they're they're not the type of books where um, uh, the male leads are are such that it would warrant a, a male naked torso cover with some tats on. Oh God, absolutely not. Okay, no. all right. So I just wanted to make sure, right? I mean, there you know that's yeah. that's both the books, right? So, okay, all right. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting that you're talking about because I, I feel like with that sort of with the book that Gregor is talking about, those types of books, the covers definitely do sell them. But I was reading something that Adam Neville posted earlier today on Facebook about how with with actual horror, 
the the number one selling point is is the author name, which is different than I guess other genres. Um, within um, a lot of other genres, it's it's the style of the cover or you know the the actual story or whatnot. But I guess in horror, the number one motivating factor is author identity and brand. Um, it's not whether or not there's a haunted house on the on the cover because it seems like haunted house on the cover sells the hell out of some books. <laughs> um, according to this this research that that Adam Neville posted, no. <laughs> um, but I bet it. But doesn't. he says it's the it's the author name, huh? So the author, the the like the in the horror genre, it's more of a, a br- author brand than it is exactly. the actual premise. Yep. Huh, that's interesting. And you know, it's, it's interesting going into like a branding thing from that. I think of um, like Chad. Um, what did you say that people call your your brand of horror? Like um, heartfelt emotional, horror. heartfelt horror. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people talk about your work in those terms. And even though you have these kind of different, unique ideas, I feel like there's definitely this Chad Lutsky brand to your work. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and the you know the same with. You, Gregor, I mean, with the, the Hanover block um, and even within some of like your, your short fiction, there's this really bizarre kind of Gregor Zane feel to it. Um, so you guys, I think, both have done a, a very good job with branding. Um, Catherine, I'm not as familiar with your stuff. And um, I don't think I'm I don't think that I'm particularly well branded. Um, I don't know. It's looking at my own stuff is kind of hard to say. Um, but do you guys give uh, that branding much thought? Yeah. No. Okay. So, <laughs> um, um, Chad, well, you start, you, you said, yeah. So how okay. does that play into what you do? I, I guess, I mean, it could be a yes and a no. It's uh, when I've, very first started writing the only idea that I had at the time that I really wanted to pursue was a zombie story, a coming of age zombie thing. And I was kind of pissed at myself at the same time because it was the last thing I wanted to write was something about zombies. And it came out and it got published and people liked it, but I wanted to, to kind of go deeper with things. And so, um, I, I didn't, and I didn't want to be, um, like pigeonholed. And it wasn't. I was looking at authors like Lansdale and uh, McCammon and even Stephen King. I mean, it's like he's kind of like the king of horror, but he's also written, you know, Shawshank Redemption and, and The Green Mile, Eyes of the Dragon. So, but some of these other guys, they could write anything, and people would just like Lansdale. People would just follow them everywhere. So that was kind of what I was hoping to accomplish. Whatever. Um, I felt like writing because I didn't want to write for people. I didn't want to write for horror. Uh, readers i wanted to write for me and then <clears throat> hopefully have people you know jump on board and, and and like it and it just so happens i guess because of the way that i write and because of my voice that um uh like the branding thing happens so i, I guess it happens secondary but my my yes part of the of the thing is that i just wanted to be able to have my own brand it's not something like i'm not like when I write, I'm like, oh, what would Chad do? You know, oh, he wouldn't, you know, do this right here or because varying topics, uh, first person or third person, you know, or the genre, it's not all going to truly sound the same. So you but, never worry about being off brand is what you're saying, right? 
Yeah, not no, yeah. not really. It's yeah, I don't I'm not like, well, this is what people expect. So people need to or else I wouldn't do stuff like, you know, the same deep waters you or the neon owl where it's right. like out of left field and, and it's like, well, you've made us cry these last three books and and spooked us, you know. I'm not really interested in staying in that thing and meeting expectations. Cause then it's yeah. not fun for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's it's a dream with the with the branding thing. I I kind of write a little bit all I don't know, I wouldn't say all over the place, but I jump between kind of real out there, almost comic bookish stuff, and then kind of I don't know. My wife would call it pretentious weird fiction. <laughs> um and you know, those are definitely kind of the places where I'm, I'm most comfortable. But once again, I don't really think about going off brand too much. But I guess if I were to to think about how my horror or how my writing has a brand, it would be just that I try to approach every project with a, a sense of artistic fearlessness, I guess. The, I can't start a project and worry about how it's going to be received or if this is going to, if people are going to like this or if it's going to piss people off or whatnot while I'm doing the art, I just have to stay completely fearless and true to the art. And um, I guess in my own mind, that that's kind of my brand. Um, what about good. you? Brother? You said you don't think about it, right? Oh no. Well, I mean, Definitely not when I'm writing something, right? But I mean, obviously, with the the, the series that I'm putting out, right? And they are they all gonna you know, all the obviously the books have to look alike, right? So they're all of a piece, right? So that's branding in a sense, right? And then and you, you did know, a really good job with the cover, the branding of the covers of that of that series. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I've I've been. Uh, yeah, I, I am uh, appreciate the feedback, and yeah, and and the. Uh, I was just lucky to find a guy who did the sculptures that I could use for the covers. That's part of it. Right. Uh, and then, you know, the first book, the novella I put out the six dead spots, it looks like it's of the same kind of brand too. Right. And then the, the, the book that I put out that probably did the, you know, least business is the taboo gasm, which looks nothing at all like the other books. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of off brand, I suppose. And, uh, in a sense, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I think about it a little bit, I suppose. And I do, I would rather like to have a uh, relationship with readers to where they'll follow me to any type of thing I want to write. Right. And that, I, you know, like the, I, the idea of having your own brand or your own genre, I guess, is the ideal as far as I'm concerned. Right. I, you know, because uh, I kind of you can kind of think of like Clive Barker being his own genre or Stephen King being his own genre or Lansdale even being his own genre. And I think that's kind of like the ideal. It'd be nice to be uh, a person where they oh, I can't wait for this guy's next book to come out. I don't care what it is. I'm not even going to read the synopsis or the product details on it. That's when it's going blind, you know. So. For sure. And there are guys like with King, they'll read anything King puts out, even if they don't read anyone else's books. Like I know people who right. have only read Stephen King books, right. but they'll read anything he puts out, you know? Right. So yeah, that is kind of the ideal, I think. If we're um, talking if we're talking covers, then uh, yeah, I would definitely don't try to form a brand. I don't want any of my covers to look the same except for like the second book in the Neon Owl is gonna look a lot like the first book. But right. you know, like with what Gregor did, but I don't want any of them to look the same. I don't even like using 
certain cover artists who are extremely talented because I've seen so many, so much of their, I can think of three right now. I've seen so <laughs> right. Many I, I know the probably the three that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Curtis. Um, but yeah, I, they're great artists, man. They're really, really good, but I've seen them so much that the books kind of start to look the same because they have very distinct styles. And so I, I don't, I don't even want to, to use them. That makes sense. Now, Catherine, what about you? Do you think about branding? I do now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think when I started, you know, like, since this conversation. <laughs> I don't mean like now, now, but like I, when I oh, yeah. started, <laughs> I was definitely very ignorant and uh, about branding. And I wrote, you know, three, three vampire mystery thriller, weird stories and then i wrote a comedy uh because i just wanted to and it had nothing dark or fantastical about it it was just a comedy and ironically enough it's the best selling book that i've had um but now that i've i have sort of started to rebrand which is difficult um because those old books don't really fit into the rebranding that I'm, I'm trying to do. Um, and I'm still really ignorant about it. You know, there, there isn't a big horror community, uh, in mid coast, Maine. Uh, there's very little, or there are very few horror writers here. Um, you know, I, I'm, isn't there a horror writers of Maine like group? Is, Isn't there like a um, like almost like a mini New England horror writers kind of thing there? There is, but a lot of those writers are based in Portland or the surrounding areas, uh, and which is true of New England horror writers as well. A lot of people are Massachusetts um, and a few in Maine, but definitely more Southern yeah, Maine. Yeah. So trying to get together with people and, and workshop and talk about horror is hard. And uh, I, I, I only live in Massachusetts, and Maine is like this mystery to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so, this like, this part. I'm of like, Maine, oh, don't you guys all yeah. live near each other? It's it's like I'm two and a half hours from Portland, and you know, I get so a get together oh, for wow. like dinner is is really hard, especially after like getting home from work. Um, so I, I feel like I still have so much to learn from so many other fantastic writers, but uh, I just wish I had more time to spend talking with these people and, and hanging out with these people and, and learning from them um, so that I could have a better understanding of how to get myself out there and, and rebrand myself the right way. Um, what is the brand you're trying to build? Like, how do you, how do you see yourself? Well, that's the thing. I, I write dark fiction and that could be any number of genres because I don't want to stay just in the horror genre. I'd like to write dark crime. I'd like to write uh, weird fiction. I'd like to write um, dark mystery thrillers because that's just kind of where my mind goes. I don't see myself sticking to one particular story or one set of characters anymore. Um, 
but that's all I have at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think that when you, especially when you're doing, I guess, multiple things and you're not really sure, you know, when you're bouncing between like say dark crime and, and weird and these other things that one of the ways that can help people brand is really an aesthetic sort of way, whether it be the books looking a certain sort of way, which as a self-publisher, you have a lot of more control over, right? Over yeah. the cover, the layout, um, like little things in my books. Like I, like I have the, the section separators in my books all have the same, I use the same section separator and it's very distinct in, in each of my books. And, um, but I think even in Gregor will maybe disagree with me, maybe agree with me, um, is presenting um, a, and this is going to sound pretentious, my wife would call me pretentious as hell, um, but presenting an author image and author photos in a certain way to, to create a, a look in an atmosphere. So creating an aesthetic that you can kind of base it around, I think, is another way that can brand. And I would argue that Gregor's kind of done this by not showing himself. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think that is, in in a sense, uh, beneficial for me, right? Because you can't, you know, look at my face and say, God, that guy's just a horrible looking dude. <laughs> I would not want to read a book by that guy, right? You know what I mean? Sometimes you see authors put photos like that and it just look like such a damn cheese ball. It's like, no way am I picking that book up, right? <laughs> so like, to my advantage. You look at like Clive Barker, man. And like these pictures of Clive Barker, like, Especially not like so much young Clive Barker, but as he aged a little bit and you see pictures of him in his painting studio, it's like, man, that guy looks cool as hell. I just want to read everything oh, yeah. he writes. Oh, yeah. um, so I think yeah, that, I mean, he's a he's a he's a handsome cat, right? He looked like a yeah. young Paul McCartney. He looked like Paul McCartney when he was younger, and then he he, he, he kind of got gnarlier looking, but he still looked cool, right? So I mean, and he also is paint speckled and. You know, he's, 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 he's got kind he's, of built. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's an interesting cat, right? He's interesting to look at. He's got charisma. Yeah. So I think if you, if you can, uh, that's another aspect that you can try to, another tool you could try to use. And I, I mean, like, like even like, like Chad has, has a very specific look to him and, you know, um, if you look at, yeah, he's Chad, even got a bookmark, man. He's like, yeah, he's got his own bookmark. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, you look at Chad, you're, you're not going to scroll through your feed and like, you're going to know that's Chad Lutsky when you're scrolling through, you know? Um, so I think that that's definitely another tool that you could use. And, and as a self-published author, you know, I think you kind of want to use anything you can. That's just yeah. kind of my insight on it anyway. How did you get those, those bookmarks, Chad? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Carly Patton from a stranger team contacted me, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. and asked me if she could make them. And I That's said, awesome. yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not, it's not, it's definitely not something I would talk about pretentious. I would have not done that on my own. <laughs> right. If you had paid those yourself, I would be like, man, yeah. I'm not reading any of this guy's books. Yeah. <laughs> man, one of the, I, one of my like guilty, like wishes is that uh, people will start like making fan art of me. <laughs> Of your yeah, face cool. of anything you know like you know you have these pictures of like i want to do it lovecraft. now you should like you get <laughs> these pictures of lovecraft with like the tentacles coming up behind him or like yeah. you know i think there's one of like laird baron and he's sitting there like in like you know uh, a flannel shirt and there's all this like monstrous stuff around him 
you know, something like that. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I know. Uh, Gregor's going to have me with one of his uh, Hanover monsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So now we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of going wherever we want and, and jumping around, whether it's intentional or not. Um, I do think that in the this age of self-publishing, though, the ability to jump to jump genres, um, it's a little bit more open to us because with traditional publishing, if you're Stephen King, you can kind of do whatever you want. But I imagine for a lot of these guys, their their agents and their their publishers, they're like, no, you write this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can write whatever we want under our own names now, which is kind of cool. Well, until you're until you're supporting your family on it, right? Well, yeah. Yes, and that's yeah. that's a, a whole other argument. Um, I actually talked to I was interviewing John Lang in a few episodes ago, and we were talking about the the value of a day job is that it lets you write whatever you want, you know. Um, exactly. And someone that's was telling true. me about something with um, uh, Jonathan Mayberry was saying, you know, there's a lot of like the most interesting projects he's ever wanted to do. He hasn't done because. Um, you know, it didn't sound marketable to his agent or whatnot. So right. let's focus on the marketable ones. Um, but I, I do think it's cool that, as you said, when you, when you're in a position where you don't have to feed your family with it, you can jump around. And, um, you know, I've jumped from kind of like, I guess I don't even know what I'd call it. It's a bad, 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 bad world, crime, urban fantasy, light horror, something. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then like, you know, like really dark, um, psychological, weird fiction. Um, and I used to do comics and everything and and, and Chad's been doing some noir stuff on top of his own kind of brand of horror and Gregor's all kind of all over the place. You you have, uh, that story about squirrels. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, taboo gasm, right. And when I published that, you know, no, I was thinking about the short story, but Tabu. Oh yeah, 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 Mister Mister Tucker and me. Yeah, yeah Mr. like you know, the, I guess I'm somewhat grateful that Tabu Gasm didn't take off and like make a lot of money because I would hate to like make a lot of money off a book that's a comedy and then it'd be expected to write comedies forever, right? Because yeah. that's a lot of hard work, right? It I mean, is. I mean, writing something that's funny is way harder than writing something that's scary or uh, dour or bleak or whatever the case may be, right? Writing something that's funny is takes way more energy uh, than it does to write something that's not funny. So. I, I, I think the opposite. Actually. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's because um, it's hard to – I mean, we're talking – you said you mentioned the word scary. So there's not a lot of books that are scary and because they're just a lot of the stuff has been done to death. So right. I don't know. I feel like it's harder to actually, if, you, if you're trying to like create something that's so unique that it's legitimately frightening. Um, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't being as uh, precise with my language. Right. But yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're truly trying to put together a book that actually is going to scare, literally scare somebody and not mm-hmm. just write a, a scary book or a horror novel. Right. That's kind of what I was meaning was like, a, you know, generically scary horror novel type of thing. I got you. Yeah. I get what you're saying though. Yeah. Writing something that's like genuinely scary. And I, I have not read this book, but my guess is something that would qualify as that it'd be like the girl next door by Ketchum. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding is that that book is genuinely scary. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But you think that writing comedy is easier than writing, quote unquote, drama or non-comedy? I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I I guess it's because I had more fun doing like um, Neon Owl or Skullface Boy than I did like a uh, foster homes and flies, not to say that flies is, is scary or that it's even horror really. Right. Right. But it just, it felt, um, yeah, because I didn't have to, you, you have to set, you have to worry more about setting certain tones. I think, mm-hmm. um, worry about more about, um, okay, the person's supposed to be feeling really uncomfortable right now or really disturbed right now without, you know, knocking them out of <clears throat> the, the, mood that I've now put them in by right. doing something overly descriptive or not descriptive enough or something like that. And, and for me anyway, I guess that, um, uh, the, the comedy stuff, uh, just feels, um, oh, it feels easier. Like it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It, it just feels like that for me. Yeah. But I, I haven't tried to, I haven't made the attempt to write anything that I thought, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be the next exorcist or the Amityville horror or something like that. Right. I haven't, I haven't ever tried to do that. I, I recently did come up with an idea that I, that I might, that is going to touch, hopefully touch in that territory. Right. But it just, when I try to think about, okay, you know, what, what, what could I bring that would, somebody hasn't already read or seen in a movie that would be, legitimately frightening and for me that's harder than trying to tell us you know a joke or something yeah I, I hear what you're saying but, but you know and that's legit but i guess my thing with comedy is right is that it's uh, people's sense of humor is very subjective right mm-hmm. and everybody's got a peculiar or, or very personal idea of what they find funny right yeah mm-hmm. so i'm thinking that in general, uh, a book that's not supposed to be funny, a, a comedy per se, right? It should is 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 um, probably going to appeal to fewer people than uh, a book that's not supposed to be a comedy. I guess is what I'm getting at, right? right. Like, you know, because you know, you might have a lot of people that would just like a you know a horror book or whatever, a weird horror book, but you know, of that same group of people maybe only a third of them will have the same sense of humor that clicks with the author's sense of humor yeah you know especially yeah i I see what you're saying especially if like you can you can tell a horror story that you're trying to frighten people and if it's just a good story then they're going to overlook the fact that they're not scared whereas if you're trying to write a comedy it's just not funny right then it's harder to overlook right yeah because i think most horror books I think I can only think of two horror books that have actually ever scared me. Um, it, it, but I love tons of horror books because they're great stories. Um, but yeah, if the comedy falls flat on something, it's going to, it's going to ruin it for me. But I will say that, uh, you know, it's a bad, 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 bad world was, you know, the first kind of comedic, it's, it's not really a comedy, but it has, comedic- yeah, it's not really a comedy. It has some comedic elements. Yeah. You know, um, you know. That was, that was, a lot easier for me to write than, than a lot of my other books, but mostly because I just, I didn't think anybody was going to like it or read it. I just wrote it for myself and I was like, Oh, this will be fun. You know? Um, when I tried to write the, when I went to write the second book and I was like, okay, well I have to come up with some funny stuff. That was, that was, that put some pressure on me. And the second book isn't as funny as the first. It just, it has a different tone. Um, 
so I, I think there's a an added pressure there, I guess, that I don't see in the other stuff. Um, but Catherine, you wrote a, You said your second book was a comedy book. What are your thoughts on which is more difficult for you? Uh, writing comedy was easier. I it was almost like a I needed to take a break from the dark stuff and write something lighter. And and it's kind of comedy, dramedy, whatever you want to classify it as, but it still felt easier to write, like just a little more uh, fluid and, and kind of came out easier. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like it was a story that was a little more, you know, from an everyman's point of view, something that people could really uh, fall in line with and, and understand and feel sympathetic toward and uh, just, you know, the kind of thing that it is harder to do with dark fiction. Sometimes the themes that you're writing are really difficult to handle. And I don't know, I, it, it is easier for me. And that's not to say that it's easier for other people. It definitely depends on the kind of comedy sure. that it is. Well, was it easier in like a, like a technical aspect, like the technical aspects of the writing, or was it like just emotionally easily easier or both? I think emotionally easier. I don't think I even worried necessarily okay. about the technical aspects of it as much. You know, I wasn't concerned about, overarching themes or or messages or um anything like that it just kind of came through all right fair enough i actually at some point i want to do a, a whole horror comedy episode of this because i'm really interested in in how people go about that um because i think it's a it's a different process than writing a, a more dramatic piece but anyway um so we're going, we're like at an hour and 15, so we should wrap up pretty soon. But um, is there anything else particularly, any experience with self-publishing that any of you guys would like to talk about um, or share with people who are just starting out in self-publishing or are thinking about self-publishing? Well, I wanted to query everybody here about a couple things, right? Yeah. And this is like a rapid fire kind of thing, right? So does everybody here use Word, like Microsoft Word to do most of their composing? What, yes. what tool do you, you do? Yeah. I use Word. Um, I use Word, but then I compile everything into Scrivener to, especially if I'm working on something with like a short story collection or or something with parts that I want to move around. But I, I initially write everything in Word. What do you use, Chad? Um, uh, I use a notebook uh, quite often, just a pen and a pad of paper. Um, nice. Because it, it allows my my brain to – because I type over 90 words a minute. And it, it, when I write, I'm writing it out, it allows my mind to kind of catch up with my hands. Okay, um, that's interesting because I, I – made sure that I learned how to type for this, the opposite reason, right. That I wanted to be able to compose as fast as I could think about something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So you, so you use a, a pen and paper to compose uh, 
everything with right and then you what use word when you, when you, when you put yeah it on uh, well i usually dump it into google docs too but like right now I'm, I'm writing a book with tim meyer and we're at the end so i haven't been able to do that on a notebook okay um, i got you so yeah I've, I've had to do that so and i have an alpha uh neo alpha smart too but that just took a dump on me recently and i lost a couple uh, stories oh but, that sucks so i was using that too because it's it's nice for not being distracted by you know um you know, Facebook and Twitter and things like that. If you don't, if you lack the self-discipline like I do sometimes. So use, okay. So you use the alpha smart. I know what that is. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a, what it's a portable keyboard that has its own little mini computer in it. And it's got yeah. a very small digital readout for on the go kind of a thing. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Evans light uses one of those as well. So yeah, I use Scrivener as well. Um, uh, to compose with now I, I do kind of the opposite, uh, Curtis, I, I compose everything in Scrivener and then I do a number of edits passes in that, you know, and then I, for the final formatting and all the, you know, the, the, the last uh, editing pieces, I all do that in word. So. Yeah. I, um, I've done it both. I've gone back and forth on whether you, whether I compose in Scrivener or compose in word. Um, but I've just recently, I've been more comfortable composing in, in word for whatever reason. Um, right. I think part of it too is uh, I've also, every time I have a writing session, you know, I, I go and back stuff up on Google docs now because um, when my last computer crashed, you know, I lost like the first couple chapters of black heart boys choir when I was first writing it and other stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a maniac about backing stuff up now, right. um, but I will say that uh, those who go forth into the empty place of gods, uh, Doug and I wrote that, in Google Docs, we just had a shared doc and went back and forth, you know. Um, right. But I used to when I when I was still working like a million hours before my wife was kind enough to go back to work and allow me to do this mostly full time. Um, I would write on my iPad like that's where I wrote my first like three books, and um, I just had like a super unorganized. I'd have like chunks of a story in one document chunks of a story in another you know um but that's how i wrote you use the on-screen keyboard to write it on, a, on the yep, iPad? the on-screen keyboard and like it was riddled typos. <laughs> wow <laughs> but I, I mean i was i did i wrote my first three books on like train and bus rides in lunch breaks. oh okay i got you yeah you know, wow I had, you know like a two hour an hour commute both ways or you know each way and then and that was the only time I could really write because I was working like 60 hours a week. So, so does anybody use any there. editing software? Um, I use Grammarly, just the basic one, just to find like the stupid stuff that I miss. Do you use anything, Catherine? Uh, nothing. I mean, Microsoft Word for the basic things that it finds, but it also has its issues as well. And then I just, you know do my own and then send it to somebody who's more diligent and right. better at finding things than I am. And Chad, you say you don't use any editing software other than word. No. And then there okay. are a couple of, there are a couple of things that uh, I have the tendency to do too much of. So I make sure like the word that, right. uh, which, which 80% of uh, the ones that I put in there could probably just be taken right out. So exactly, and another yeah. one would be the word just sometimes. Yep. I yeah. do that with though. I have to do word searches for though. Yeah. Yeah. I do that for that. And I do that for just, and I, you know, yeah, I do all that stuff true. too, but I do use Grammarly and I also use pro writing aid. So those are both pretty good. 
I also yeah. use um, the uh, just the browser version of um, Hemingway. I used that once, but I can't remember what it was called. I, I actually thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, it, I thought it was neat because um, I mainly use it for finding passive voice. Um, and then I'm not too concerned about it. A lot of it is trying to get you to to simplify your sentence structure and like get the grade level down. And I'm not super concerned about that. Um, I kind of, I don't know, once again, going into my wife calling me pretentious all the time. I got a like purplish prose. I like, I like, I like expansive language. Um, so, but I found it very useful for finding passive voice and um, in kind of simpler things like that. Mm-hmm. And pro uh, writing aids very good for finding continuity errors. So, like ha- like what? Um, like you're you like for here's a, is a very simple example. Like you you know you might be using um the the British word British version of like backwards instead you know mm-hmm. like instead of using backwards you you know like you might in one chapter or one paragraph you might use backwards and another one you might use backward and forward and forwards right things like that. Mm-hmm. It'll say hey you know you're using you need to stick with one or the other, buddy. Right? That All type right. of stuff. I yeah. could use something like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 pretty cheap too, right? I mean, uh, I I think it's been worth the uh, the investment. I mean, obviously, with any kind of tool like that, you're going to have to, you know, it's up to you to decide whether or not you change it, right? So sometimes it's just wrong, right? Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of times it does catch stuff that you don't you wouldn't catch right i mean like passive voice and and various different things like that it'll 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 flag and you can you can adjust it if you want to that type of thing so does anybody have any uh reference books that they recommend folks uh read related to writing like related to uh, editing or anything related to the uh, the craft that they like Um, or recommend I will try to find the link and put it up in the podcast description, but it's just, um, it's just a simple thing. There's, like I said, I make my eBooks from Scrivener, um, but there's this tutorial on some website somewhere where it um, shows you how to make a really nice PDF in Calibri from, from an eBook or whatnot. Um, Cause I've had trouble making nice looking PDFs that are easy to read, but um, there's this tutorial that it just, it gives you just simple instructions on making a gorgeous PDF in Calibri. And then there's, uh, I can't remember her name and I feel awful. Uh, There's this author, a female author from Maine actually, um, who put out a book on self-publishing that was pretty decent. Um, and I can't remember her name. Is for the that letter. the individual who just like published a million books? When oh, no, was... no, she no. You're you're thinking of um, Lisa Shea. Um, oh, okay. No, she did not put a, out a book on that, but she probably should. Um, uh, yeah, I'll have to. Maybe I'll edit myself in later with her name if I can remember. <laughs> uh, put a link to the book. But anyways, um, she wrote this book in. It's just, uh, I'm sure it hasn't necessarily aged well because it's a few years old and this stuff changes so fast. Right. Um, but, you know, it had just your basic stuff, but also things like um, how to navigate Babelcube if you're looking for uh, an option on getting translations done and, right. you know, um, ACX 
for doing audio, um, just different things like that that go a little bit beyond your basic formatting and editing. Right. So, what about you, Catherine? Um, well, right now I am using this wonderful police procedure and investigation a guide for writers book on my current book, uh, which is by Lee Laughlin. I have been reading the hell out of that. And there's also a forensics book uh, as well. And then I also have been using the grammar of architecture by Emily Cole, which is just a great reference for tons of different architecture. Um, you know, the names of all of the different pieces. Yeah. I'd like to have that. Yeah. A good one. It's good. Chad, you got anything? Uh, just the obvious one um, on writing Stephen King. Yeah. Especially the second half of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've read the second half of that book about five times, I think. Yeah. yeah, It's worth picking up every year, every other year, you know, at least for the second half. It's uh, it's encouraging. Yeah. More than anything, I found it just very motivating. Like it just kind of puts my ass in the gear. Um, EJ Stevens is the woman I was thinking of with the self-publishing book. Okay, okay, cool. So I might, um, I might look into that because I I messed around with the the Babel Cube and I registered and I put like a, a book or two up there and I'm constantly getting offers that I just let sit there and I've for like the past like six or seven months and I don't even know how to use it so I feel well, bad because these people have tried reaching out to me. I found that the problem with Babel Cube for me is that you have to know somebody who's fluent in the language that can check it and make sure that it makes sense. Right. And ideally you want to find a translator who's not just fluent in both languages, but, but gets the, the cultural context. So I've gotten a lot of people who can speak English, you know, they're fluent in English, but they've never lived in the United States and they're not going to get the slang. They're not going to get a lot of the the terms. So Mm -hmm. I, to go through the story and like, you know, line by line and make sure you're you're pointing out things and explaining you know explaining it in a way that's going to translate well um which i think is something going back to like back when i used to do comics i used to work with a lot of dudes from like south america and such so i had to be very careful with my language when i was dealing with these artists um because you know something might not translate right and then you get the wrong image in the on the comic page right so um so when you're just if you're going to use Babel Cube, my my advice would really be have someone who can who can check it very well and make sure if if the person doesn't get the cultural context of the book, do your best to explain everything as, as simple as it might be. You know, yeah, I probably won't go that route because I I don't I don't feel especially with the cultural references. You know, I don't feel comfortable. Uh, that's I just go with the. Um, with the publisher, you know, I got the Russian version and Arabic version of one of my books. And I just assume that they deal with it and I don't have to deal. With yeah. It. That's why I haven't really like, I, you know, I tried to do this with one of my books and I realized that it, it just wasn't working um, because mm-hmm. of how labor intensive it was. And I don't necessarily know that the person was the right person to translate it. So if I was going to do translations of my book, I think I'm going to go, you know, I'd wait for a publisher to, to do it. Um, Cause that's a little bit too much work for me. And yeah. 
beyond my skill set, as Gregor mentioned earlier, understanding our weaknesses. Um, right. But either way, like I said, it's uh, there's still some interesting stuff in that book, though, is that that I hadn't thought of, you know, beyond the basic stuff. Um, do you guys do anything for marketing of like software? Like I use um, like KDP Rocket. I think they might have changed the name of it now. Um, but for like Amazon marketing keywords and stuff. And um, one of the reasons, one of the main things I like about self-publishing is that I can make sure marketing is happening, which um, some small presses don't really do. Um, do you guys do anything like that? No, I don't. I don't. I no, not really. I don't use any kind of anything like that. Okay. Do you use Amazon? No, I've tried it in the past. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chad. Do I use Amazon? What? Do you use Amazon ads? No, I've I've been I keep meaning to. I, I know I've used Facebook ads. Didn't really do anything. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I've tried. Didn't really do anything for me. I've heard good things about Amazon ads. Don't know what to do. I haven't really looked All much right. into it yet. What were you going to say? I've, I've tried it. I've given it a whirl, right? But I figure, I mean, it, it seems to me as if the, the the best way to market your books is just to put more books out, right? To put more books out regularly, you know? Um, I mean, the sales of all of my books have increased exponentially Started since I started putting out these follow-ups in the series of these Hanover Block books. Mm-hmm. So I think that just having more books out and, and uh, you know, each book is an advertisement for all the other books, right? So yep. I think if you publish regularly, I think that's probably the best way to, to market it. I mean, yeah, I think that maybe Amazon ads could probably work and, and things like that. But I really think that people uh, really respond to a, a fairly regular publishing schedule. And I think that Chad is uh, – you know, you're, you're pretty uh, good at that. I mean, you publish at least two books. Well, I've, I've noticed that there is uh, like what you're saying. That's super important to it, It's, it's like almost like a racing to stay relevant kind of, right. Right. Because there are so many, <clears throat> there's so many readers who they all love to um, like get the new book and read it and then share it with their friend and then when you've got two or three people reading the same book and they're like, oh, well, I want to read that new book, even though I've got 85 books sitting next right. to me I wanted to read. And so, um, yeah, sometimes you can find yourself uh, kind of, you can feel it, you know, you falling kind of on the, on the wayside there that uh, it's time to get something new out. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and uh, there's another thing that I've noticed that seems to actually work, right, is uh, having your books reviewed by uh, booktubers, right? I think that. Oh man, yes, that is uh, huge. Yeah, I mean, I think that that really does help move books, uh, and and also helps move print books, right? I used to yeah. sell hardly any print books, but since folks have been reviewing my books and, and these booktube reviewers, right, uh, folks are buying my books in print way more than they ever have before. And I think it's just a matter of they see a human holding a physical object, right? And, you know, it, it just, uh, it seems more real to them and they want to have that physical object for themselves, right? And it's kind of like, you know, having a little window in your macaroni box, you can see the actual product there, right? So you're more like <laughs> to want to buy it you know so yeah so when are, you have like a, a personality like a, if you have a really good like booktuber um and they've got a personality they the the viewers learn to trust their their taste right. you know um so and i think you know well-read beard is who comes to mind immediately he just has right. this really 
cool personality. He has this, this nice voice and everything. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I, I want to buy what this guy's reading. <laughs> right. Um, what about you, Catherine? Do you use anything um, like Amazon ads or anything like that to promote? Uh, I've never used Amazon, but I have used Facebook before. And I've actually had decent uh, responses from that. That's been good. Good. You have. Yeah. I, I've never had like a, a really good response from it myself. I mean, I think it's. I mean, but she's also got a sales background too, right? So she probably knows how to write ad copy more uh, better than uh, we would, right? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that necessarily, that but, uh, but I, I do find that also going to a lot of shows is important as well. Um, you know, being a physical presence there that is selling your own stuff is important. Oh yeah, yeah. De- I definitely would think that would help, right? Yeah, hand selling. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to do those things to be present. Um, and it, but it's a mixed bag. It's kind of a gamble for me. Like I've done shows where I've sold a lot of books, and I've gone to New York and not sold anything. You know, so. Um, but when you're there physically and people are seeing you and they're seeing the books, you know, at least you know, you're putting a seed into their mind. Yeah. I think it's a good idea to have a plan. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, I I just mean, I think it's a good idea to have a plan whether or not you, you do sell books or not to still have a good either networking experience or just a good getting the word out experience. And whether that's uh, advertising through bookmarks that you're giving away or some kind of like, tweet that you came to my table or Instagram that you came to my table or something like that. Um, you know, you're still getting your word out, even if it's not you selling your book. Personally. Right. Yeah. You got to make the most of it regardless. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, so as far as the, the book recommendations, as far as reference goes, right. I want to go circle back to that real quick. Cause I do have a, a very good reference for humans to use. Uh, it's called self editing for fiction writers. And um, I bought this book cause Gregor recommended it and it is excellent. I, that's yeah. the name I wanted to name that because that I, I have it on my nightstand, but I couldn't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks. I, I got that too. Yeah, that's an excellent book. Yeah, I've read that a, num- a number of times. Uh, I, I usually read it uh, or at least pick through it uh, once I get to the point where I'm going to start editing the, the whatever the work in progress is, right? So yeah, it's Self-Editing for Fiction Writers by Rennie Brown and Dave King. So, And I was going to say uh, on writing as well, so, you know. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess we'll wrap up. We're going on pretty long. Um before we leave, though, why don't you guys promote whatever you want to promote? We'll start with you, Catherine. Uh, I I have a book that is coming out in spring of 2021. It is called The Wild Dark. Uh, for more information and uh, if you're interested in the book, you can certainly check out my website at www. CatherineSilvaAuthor.com or visit my Facebook page or Twitter. I will be having uh, more events and fun things going on in the future. All right. Gregor, sell us something. Well, I've got this ongoing series, uh, the Hanover Quartet. Uh, three books are currently out and uh, ready for you to buy. The first book in Kindle format is only 99 cents, so you can get started with very little risk. So go out and get it. 
And Chad, what do you got for us? <laughs> um, everything can be found yeah, at my website, uh, chadlutzke.com. It's C-H-A-D-L-U-T-Z-K-E. Links to you know Twitter, Instagram, and all my books. And you can sign up for newsletter or Patreon or or you know whatever. Everything is there. I, d- I did want to note that if anybody's listening to this that is looking for self-publishing advice, uh, Catherine's, um, what she is writing, I would give completely different advice to, like if I were going to give someone advice to Gregor, like two different ways to market. And um, like when I talked about earlier about the book funnel and the email list, that kind of stuff would fit perfectly with what it sounds like Catherine is doing, but it's not something I recommend for something like, you know, what Gregor is doing or what I'm doing or, or somebody else. So there's, there's don't take everything that I said for like gospel for your type of book that you're wanting to put out because it's different things work for different, uh, different books. Absolutely. And um, if anybody's interested um, in learning a lot more than what any of us probably know about self-publishing, there is uh, something called the self-publishing podcast um, where Mm -hmm. they just focus on that every episode. And those guys sell a ton of books. Um, So you could check that out too for other reference. Um, So I guess that's it. Thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate your time and Have a great night. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.